These kids don't have a place where they can say they belong. In a gang, they can say they belong. I belong here. This is my family. You make certain that we are in That's what Okay. Okay. We're live. Are you ready? You. <laughs> it's a pleasure to announce the second guest on the Wide Awake podcast, Turner Adams. He is a actor, a community worker, and I think what you're most famous for is being an ex-gangster. Yeah, I think so also. In my community, you know. Yeah. Uh, actually, my name is Turner Earl Adams. Uh, was born 1964, the 12th of the ninth month. Last weekend, Sunday, I celebrated my 57th birthday. It's 57? 57, yeah. And you know, people, um, I come out of Cape Town District 6. So you were, you were born in District 6? I was born in District 6. I was tutored. Uh, I went actually to a convent, to school in a convent. I was tutored by nuns. You know what I mean? And uh, when we went out of District 6, I couldn't adapt to life outside of District 6. And that took a very great toll on me because I had to adapt to picking up records. I had to adapt being rude, you know. Um, I, I, think, I think let's start all the way from the beginning. Yeah. So you said you, you were born in District 6? I was born and bred in District 6, yeah. But you grew up in Lavender Hills? Um, I was at the age of 11 when we left uh, District 6 to come stay in Lavender Hill. And for the good or worse, I don't know. But my life just turned around because um, I had to adapt getting used to swearing. I had to adapt getting used to fighting. I had to adapt. It made you much harder. I had to adapt to being harder. Because if you weren't hard, you were a softy and they looked down upon you. And I was like the softest guy, but nevertheless, they brought out the baddest part of me because uh, by eating me and I was always complaining, I had a stepfather um, and he was also ex, you know, ex-gangster. And he told me if I come again into the house and complaining about the uh, kids eating me, why don't you eat them back? And so, we, your, so your stepfather wanted you to fight? He, he said, you must stand up for yourself. Somebody to eat them back. And by giving me that power, um, I got carried away with it because every night when he came out of work, I'd have a hiding because there's two, three, four, five guys that I've hit back, but I've hit them so back because I had this aggression inside of me. I couldn't adapt to uh, the way the people was living, the way they were talking with each other. And the small things that really mattered to me was always that um, these people didn't actually really care. Because they seeing there's a kid fighting, but they won't do nothing on it, they still laugh at it, take it for a joke. But it wasn't for me a joke because it was, it was, um, um, uh, it was things that molded me differently because I understood life differently. Because when you grow up in a place like Lavender Hills, I'm sure your environment always has an effect on you as a person. Yes, of course. And being in a place that is so... Destructive. Destructive you and know, riddled with gangs. With gangs. Oh, it must make you very hard. And you, you, even if you don't want to be tough, you have to be. Just because the, otherwise they'll take advantage of every weakness they see in you. Exactly. You, they smell your weakness. You had to have uh, like a mask. I call it always a mask. You get the mask from inside the house, you, your mom and your dad's child. When you leave the house, in our community, you must change, you must adapt. You must be this hardcore person. 
words mustn't uh, actually hurt you, you know, because they are looking for this small piece of space where they can come into it, where they see a weakness, they jump onto it. Like w- w- you said to me when I picked you up today, you said, you must never look scared. Never. And um, Never put your emotions on your face. I've done a lot of work in places like Manenberg and all around the Cape Flats. And um, at the beginning, obviously, I was a bit nervous because you of hear course. so much about these areas. And people teach you to fear them. It's but wrong. I was so scared when I came in the first time. But I promise you when I left... I wasn't scared anymore because this is one of the reasons I wanted to bring you on because you are such an interesting character where you've gone from being the person that people were afraid of to this lovely guy that I've spent. I mean, we've spent the past two hours chatting um, when I fetched you and, and now when you came to the house here and you break that stereotype because everything about you, the tattoos, the your past, the chains, everything about you screams, this is a scary guy. Exactly. And then you open your mouth and I fall in love with you. <laughs> oh, thank you, man. Thank you. You know why, Josh? Because uh, in our community, you ha- you have to be hardcore or you've got no core. Um, people deem you as being uh, a good person. Like in the city, everybody must respect you because why? You must... You must earn that respect and by being what? By being a badass. You must be better than the baddest of them all. And I went out to be one of the baddest. And where I ended up was in prison. You know what I mean? And um, That's something I, I really want to talk about because everyone has this picture in their head of going to prison. But um, one thing that I'm very curious about because I've had a past as well where I've, I mean, I spoke about this on my last episode um, where I had a, and I've told you about it as well, I had a really bad problem with substance abuse and, and, and drugs. And there was a few times where I've, I've been arrested and I've almost landed up in Polesmore where you were. You were a lucky man. I, I remember sitting with my dad, just crying, saying, I can't survive in Polesmore. I don't have it in me. I don't think you would have. You know, I can't, I just, I, I, I was broken. When I thought that was a possibility of me going, I just didn't know what to do. And my dad says, says, we're here for you. But at this point, you're going to have to see how things go because it's it's not in our hands anymore. What was it like for you when you got into prison for the first time on the first day and things were not no longer in your hands? You had no control. You were now a prisoner at Polesmore. I was so scared. Just the, my whole body shivered every day for about a week of adaptation. You just you're in shock. Total horrendous shock. Because now a guy comes to you and he says, Look at here, I want to fuck you. You know, hey, what is this guy talking about? Is he going to hurt me? What? But he wanted to do have you as, 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 as a, um, you know, a sexual partner. How can he do if you don't mind me asking, were you sexually assaulted in prison? You know what, Josh? Um, I thank God always for giving me this. And, you know, he prepared me actually without me knowing that time. Because I had a stepfather who, you know, everything you've done wrong, he gives you hiding. I went to reformatory where you got like every day into a fight hiding. So 
I became adapting to getting hurt, to getting into fights. When I went to prison, I had to fight. I had to do everything so that I can't be sexually abused. But I didn't escape it because, you know, you walk past a guy that is a, a homosexual, he taps on your, on your buttocks and, you know, all things like, you know, he, he, that's the way. You say, hey, Blondie, I fought that name. Because I had this, this uh, light blondies here, and I've got green eyes, and they always used to call me, yeah, blondie, and that was certainly I fought with my whole life. Because in the night, they wake you up. There's four guys, each one with a knife. If you don't give us an ass, we're going to stab you. And a lot of people, uh, you know, that is now pure and plain and simple, um, doing things under pressure. And we weren't prepared for prison. I wasn't prepared for prison. I don't think it's something anyone can prepare for. Exactly. And so, if I must look at it back, I was one of those who were lucky, but still, they never stopped harassing me. You know, until the day I stood up and I stabbed the warder. The stabbed the warder? I stabbed the warder, yeah. Because they said, if I want to be one of them, this was a way of they making me scared, then you have to stab the warder. So I took it upon myself and said, if I can escape all these things by saving water, what the heck, man? There's a, there's a small and price to pay. Were, were you involved with a gang before you went to prison? Yeah. I was of the old school gangsters, uh, Cape Town Scorpions. Is that what they were called, the Scorpions? Yeah, Cape Town Scorpions. You know, emphasized on the Cape Town Scorpions. You know what I mean? Yeah, we originated from Cape Town. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, I was a, a scorpion. I was, at the age of 12, I, I went to... At the age of 12? Of 12, yeah. I committed my first murder with a knife. I stabbed the guy to death, but he was also junior like me. We had a fight, but we had walked away because I've been learned by my grandma and my grandpa, if you see a fight coming on, walk rather away. You know, it's better to prevent a thing than to cure a thing. But I didn't understand that. That wasn't in, because I, I thought, if you hit me, I must hit you back. And my stepfather began, he, when they came to uh, uh, complain about me, they said, uh, I've done this, I've done that. So I, me, I, if I do one thing wrong, and I know they're going to tell my stepdad, so I carried on doing a lot of things wrong. My dad hit me for everything I have done wrong. If 10 people comes and they've uh, got 10 things that I've done for the day, I get hiding for the first thing. Then I get put into a cold bath, out of the cold bath, again hiding, till the 10 things are over. So, so you've just been abused your whole life? I've been adapted to getting hurt. And it's one sickness that I have actually been cured in prison, and that is um, aggressiveness. I had to be aggressive. Because if I didn't, if I wasn't aggressive, then they would have rolled over me and I would have been gang raped or whatever the case might be. And But I thank the Lord above for giving me that insight. Not to let, and as a, I'm talking about a small percentage guys who comes out who can really say that they went in a one person, they came out another person, but he survived a lot of other things, you know, like sexual abuse, but all the other abuses I was. Sexually abused, verbally abused, physically abused, 
everything comes with anything but we have to endure. You learn how to endure. Imagine you learn how to accept pain, you know, and overcome it because it's, um, if they hit you, they can't hit you a whole day, 24 hours in because you're being uh, looked after. There's always guys coming and seeing if everything is okay. So there is a rest time. So what I've done, uh, because I've learned it aside with the gangsters, they said if you go to prison, you must be really cruel to be kind. And I became very cruel just because I had no alternative. That, that was my way of surviving. You have to be tough. I have, you had there's, to be, you can't show any weakness. Tough. You know, tough comes here to, uh, uh, I think, I believe that you had to be consciouslessness. You had to lose your conscience of feeling sorry for somebody. You had to laugh when somebody gets hurt. You know what I mean? And uh, what I've gone through is when they hit me and when they uh, uh, tortured me for trying to sodomize me, they let me stand under a shower that drips on your head and any time anyone comes past, they give you a smack like that and you couldn't do nothing. I want to know... Um and I, I want to get more into like the daily life of prison because this is something that us as humans can't comprehend. Like we have, we go through our days and we take each day as they come. But we don't think of, you were in prison for 18 years, right? Uh, my last, that's my last test in prison, 18 years and six months I was. 18 years and six because months. I had 21 years here. From the 21 years I've done 18 years and three months in prison. The others I've done outside, you know, the new system. Let me tell you something, Josh. Um, I never knew that uh, a place could have turned you circular around. Like my uh, grandma passed away, told me from an angel to a devil turner. And I didn't know what she was meaning because uh, when last she saw me, I had a clean face. And when So you got all the tattoos in prison? In prison, yeah. I, um, the, the one thing I want to know, though, is... Because obviously, 18 years is such a long time. I mean, I'm 25 years old. That's almost my whole life. Exactly. The thing that I think a lot of people can't comprehend is when you're in prison and every day you have to fight for your life, basically. I mean, how do you cope with that for 18 years? You know, just it's not for 18 years. You don't cope for 18 years. Well, I think uh, the best part of it is five years. Um. If you're in prison and you, you get used to the routine of prison life... You just get used to it. You get used to it. And afterwards, only afterwards, Josh, when you get the nick and the trick of prison, then you find out, but these are the same guys that I was fighting outside. These guys are ran over outside, man. I was stronger than me outside. Why couldn't I have been stronger than me in here? Because of... The numbers. Uh, the numbers. And... That's another thing I want to know is about the numbers gangs. Like, whenever you refer to number, you're talking about the numbers gangs, right? Yes, yes. So, you said you were a part of the 28th. Yes. Which is the highest ranked. Yeah. You can, uh, uh, you, yeah. There's the, there the four runners of, of uh, I mean, prison gangsterism, you know what I mean? Yeah. They're the top. Yeah, they're the top guys, yeah. And how do you become, I know you said you had to stab a warden. Was that your initiation into the 28th? My initiation, because they wanted to uh, sodomize me, and I didn't want to be sodomized, because my stepdad said, um, never ever can let that happen. If you let that happen, I'm not going to call you a son anymore. And for me, it was important to be his son, because my real father actually wasn't there for me. So I, I had 
this inside of me, I want to show my dad. You'll do anything. I'll do anything. For approval. For approval of him to accept me as his son. And he said, no bloody son of me is going to be a fucker. You know, but in Afrikaans, you know, it's, it's English uh, swearing is, it, it sounds so easier on the tongue, but Afrikaans swearing is very, you know, it's very difficult. And he used to warn me, you make one mistake. I'm not going to accept you. As my son anymore. As my son anymore. You let yourself be abused and I know you won't be able to can look after your mom or me or your children or whatever future lies ahead. So you'll have to, uh, you, if somebody hits you, smacks you, you smack him back. Somebody spits you, you spit him back. Now in prison, we use all these raw tactics. In prison, I've seen guys losing who they are. I want to know, so obviously in the outside world, um, in in prison, because you, you talk a lot about um, like sodomy and like sexual assault. Why do they do that in prison? Is it a power thing? Um, you know what? Um, I also wanted to know, but why do you guys want to do this? What I, I slipped uh, next to you know when I was still fresh in prison. Then uh, we used to sleep in uh, rooms about what is for fifteen people. We had to be 35 people in a room, so we were just tight. We never had beds at time, so we were on the ground, you know. We slept like... So sardines. like 35 people we, all sleeping on the ground? Yeah, we sleep on the ground. With, you, you get two mats and three blankets, so we used to make beds up uh, with each other. We do one bed, like we throw all the blankets. You only had maybe one blanket to cover yourself. But then again, you must lay next to somebody that is being sodomized. And the way they're going on here... And the way you're getting, every night this thing's happened here next to you and you get shocked because the way the, uh, these people are going on next to you, you get an erection and that's the thing that I couldn't first understand. Hey, I thought, hey, what, am I mad or what? Because this is, this is not me, I don't want this to happen to me. But then again, um, um, it, it's so devastating onto your personality. You know what I mean? And I tried to shut it out of my brain, but I'm hearing it through my ears. I couldn't keep my ears closed. You know, and these things were going on on a daily basis. And only if we are locked up, because they put the masters on. In Afrikaans, they call it the Ewegerots. Now imagine you, me, you are locked up. These waters only can see through the windows. They can shout at the guy, hey, stop. But he's in there, they fuck you, man. He stabs you, you know until he's satisfied with what he's done. And what I've learned, I've picked up a sickness in prison, and that's aggressiveness. I had to be aggressive. Um, because the thing that was happening, I've never, I've only experienced in prison. Uh, I never, once in my life as a kid, did somebody ask me for, you know, approach me sexually as what it is in prison. Because for me it was just, not on, but it was a norm in prison because you didn't see it during the day when the world was there. But when we are locked up, we are locked up in a room and that room gets locked up for 18, 19 hours. And 18, 19 hours, you must adapt to the routine of the gangs. And it's not easy. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, were you, I mean, you said you were there so for like after five years, you kind of, Get into the routine of yes. things. 
Oh. So does that mean after five years or so, like roughly, were you pretty protected and you had your you were in the gang and no one really messed with you anymore? I had to fight for that position, Ross. I had to fight for that position um, because uh, it took me, I think, less than three years to adapt to the routine of prison, what goes on and what doesn't go on, you know. But, but it took me actually maybe five years to um, get the skill right to know when to do what and how to do what. You learn to use your honors as a, as a you know, you come into, into one room, there comes 60 packets of cannabis as this large. So was, I mean? there, was there drugs in prison? Exactly. And you know what? Now we hear that uh, the police are they're going to come and search our room. When they search our room, Josh, they come here. When they search our room, they don't get even a pit of cannabis. Now, you tell me, where is this cannabis hidden away? In the guy's asses, man. In the guy's asses? Yeah. In How much cannabis can you fill? Uh, Josh, you can take a whole carry bag of cannabis, then you make it into this small thing. And we, just uh, put it up. And we put it up in the honest. Now, nah. See, this, was, this, this is why I'm wearing this shirt today. This was very scary, Josh. <laughs> because for me, it was it, do you want to be sodomized? Do you want to be sodomized or... Are you willing to carry for us our knives and our, 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 our cannabis in your arse? I don't know how to uh, call this thing that you put up in your arse, but I know I've read a book about it. Of a, um, but it's, uh, I want to come on the name, but we call them like, like a cool, you know? They strip it with plastic. They wrap it with plastic. They wrap it with plastic and they burn it. You can have a heap of cannabis, this big heap, and you can minimize it. It'll be this small, Josh. You just compress it, compress it, compress it. Compress it and compress it, yeah. And I you must carry it up in your ass during the day. Now, another thing that you must also learn is you can't let somebody see that you've got something in your ass. So you'll have to take what is on you and hide it away. You mustn't show it on your face. You mustn't show if you was approach the water with something, you've got maybe knives on you, you must approach the water as usual. This you learn to adapt to in prison and that I was so very good at. Because um And did you did you guys make uh, uh, weapons and stuff in your <coughs> in your cells? But of course. What I mean, what kind of weapons would you make? Uh, knives, you know. And, and how would you make them? Um the whole prison is cement, Joss. You know, and we, we, we used to have these windows where these brass things that you close the window and open the window what up again. Brass, like handles. Brass, that, uh, brass handles. That, and we used to break it off. And we put it up in our ass, bring it into prison, right? And the floor is cement. You know, there was always a part in the cell that the cement was still a bit rough. And you use that piece of roughness. Then you sharpen the... Uh, we make it sharp, you know? Like... You can't own it as, as you know, our own knife is, but we make it sharp and you couldn't stab also a guy on his clothes because... Uh, it wouldn't puncture uh, through. Uh, it wouldn't puncture through. You had to stab him in his face in the, where his skin was, you know, but open skin. <coughs> At first, by me, it was a matter of survival. If I didn't do these things, then these guys would, would, would sodomize me. So I thought, no, to myself, wait, man. Afterwards, I came to terms with, I didn't pray anymore because I prayed every night, you know what I mean? And praying every night, praying every morning, wherever I had a chance to pray because I was an altar boy. 
I knew how to pray, what prayers to say, when. And but just the mere fact that my prayers wasn't heard at. I thought God forsaken me. And I changed. From praying, I changed. Because I said, I saw also if you are, you know, like this guy that is a weirdo, everybody would say out of your way. And that's how I became to begin to have no conscience by hurting people. I'm and sure you wanted to hurt other people because of how you were hurt growing up and in prison as well. Just the main trick was this. If you are weirder than the next person and then you get, you know, that status of being stay out of this guy's way. And was people. that one of the reasons you started doing all the tattoos? No. The tattoos was actually a thing that I loved. I loved to tattoo. I loved the the the, the 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 thing that you can put on your body and it stays there, you know what I mean? I was infatuated actually by tattoos. And I went so crazy about tattoos that you had four, three, four people on me because when I was about... Three, oh, four people tattooing you at the same time? Tattooing me on one time, yeah. <laughs> we had that, we had that uh, you know, if, if you get into a position that I got into, that you, you've got power now, you can tell, you can say, you can do this, you, whatever, but it must be in the context of the law of the number. Not, not your own thingy. You know what I mean? That's uh, one thing also I learned. But the number was strictly there to manipulate other people and let it be scared of them. The because people, when they hear the 28s, they get scared. Ah, but of course. And if they mess with one of you, they're messing with, with all of you. You know what? Um, when I look back, and sometimes I can't believe uh, the things that I had to do. Uh, but the, back in the day then, it was in my mind, I must do it. But thinking back again, I had the choice. But I'd, you didn't have um, room to choose or whatever choice you had to adapt to other people's choices. So which means when the consequences came, it was by other people's choice that you had to face these consequences also. And the consequences was always so heavy, you know, because we were, we were the waters when they came in and they hit us. You know, they 50, 60 waters, each one of the baton, you know what I mean? Uh, it's, it's hectic. Uh, they put us into straight jackets. You know what I mean? They put us into chains, you know? They, they chain you up and, they, yeah, and put straight jackets on you. Yeah, I was guest. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just to um, um, bring you, calm you down because we were guys going out. And the thing that I've been, how can I say, I've been uh, caught up in was this thing that if you stab a warder, you get more power you than... You become the king. You get more power than if you stab like a local. You know, he doesn't get... But if you stab a warder... So from the very beginning, I had to stab warders. And you know, if you stab a warder, all these warders come and they eat you. And I'm telling you now, you know, if you want to get hurt, if 20 people eat you, you can't say for 20 things, I know, or cry out for it. Because it's it's too, it's deadens. It's so much pain. It's that so you, much pain that, that you, you don't even know what to do. You, yeah, you can't shout for twenty uh, hertz on one time. You know what I mean? You can't shout <laughs> twenty times. <laughs> out, out, yeah. out, out. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you get used to it. I I, I want to get back to the the tattoos though, I, because I think this is something that ident that makes you very identifiable. Yeah. Because I mean I've known your face for a long time. Yeah. And uh, it's a very recognizable face. Yes. What 
What was your first tattoo? My very first tattoo was actually on my on my leg. Yeah. You know I mean? But in my face, my first tattoo was uh, uh, in front of my head. He's a skeleton. He's got a oh, flute. He's a skeleton. Yeah. He's a skeleton. He's got a flute in his mouth, and he's blowing his his death song. You know, I was so very into reading books about uh, cowboys and Indians that when the Indian sees he's going to die, he he goes into song. He sings his death song. Now there was a lot of, uh, of people that I read about. Uh, you know, music came actually through. You get a, a death song. You get the birth song. You get the birthday song. You get all these songs with different there's occasions. A, there's a song for everything. For everything, yeah. And I just adapted to this death song. And to this guy, that uh, a skeleton, that was blowing a flute. And he was actually just playing the death song. So whenever the flute plays, that particular sound of flute plays, then we know there's something big going to happen. Yeah. You know what I mean? That was the thing. And if prisoners, back in the day, if prisoners start singing, the louder they sing, the more the guy's shouts and screams are dampened. So that the worst can't hear that somebody is in danger. These guys used to sing. And they used to, uh, you know... So people used to sing when there was like fights yeah, happening like, or, or like a murder or... Exactly. And then they used to sing and present echoes. A guy shouting here for his life. But the, the way we are singing, we are maybe 10, 12 people and we must sing loud. And you, you can't hear the person that's, that's screaming they, for help. If they walk past you and you hear no sound out of your mouth, brother, please, you're going to get hurt and you're going to get definitely hurt. You must do it. And... These, we adapted that because I'm not going to get hurt. He's going to hurt some other motherfucker. So I will sing it at my loudest <laughs> because uh, I wanted yeah. to be, you know, I would, don't want to be hurt like that. Any sign of we softness is a weakness in prison. And it's a pity for so many um, victims that in prison because everybody was victimized. These people uh, that are victimizing others was victimized himself that's exactly it it's it's you know like I mean? as a cycle it's a cycle that needs to be broken of course and, and while working with people in in Manenburg during lockdown this is something i i really learned about where it's when i got home from from doing the work i was doing people would say are you scared of these people or what was it like or how can you go into the drug dens where the gangsters are? And it's like such stereotypical things. People see these, people see the headlines, you know? People see the, someone was shot dead in Manenburg or someone was shot dead in Lavender Hills. But what they don't see is that gangsters make up a very small majority of the people in these exactly. areas. The rest of them are children, good fathers, and amazing mothers. Let me tell you something small about Lavender Out of Lavender there was advocates, doctors, people who did success. And the gangs are not more than the community. Now, I believe it's a community. They say it takes a community to raise a child. Now, it takes a community to rear a gang also. In my community, you know, if gunshots are heard, they don't run into the houses. They run, they run, run to the scene. Uh, you know what? Through the years... These people buy the kids play toy guns that shoots pellets. The kids, man, they playing with play toy guns, shooting at each other. What is that? That's preparing them to become what? 
Gangsters. You know, exactly. They shoot the guy dead in front of these kids. And then these kids come to the body, they look down on the body, then they reckon, yeah, but except this guy's head was shot him. What does that do to him? It deadens his changes uh, you from compassion. a very young age. Yeah, from a young age. He's used to seeing people dying. It comes a norm for him. Like, like he's dead, man. Just like it. So another thing that I think is very important to talk about is that the, the, is the reason people in places like the Cape Flats join gangs. And um, a lot of the time, kids grow up in, in very dysfunctional homes. And um, their father could either be like a gang member or maybe the father's not even around. He's been killed or he's just, yeah, he's just not interested in taking care of the kid. And um, a lot of the time, mothers have kids at very young ages. Um, and that's why kids end up joining gangs. I mean, what is your take on that? Um, is that a true statement? It's very true. You know, a, a dysfunctional family because you get the father going to prison or he was killed by, a, by the, the enemy, like enemy gang or the opposition, as you can call it now. The mom is still a youngster who hasn't had a time to be a young lady or a kid. Kids today are given responsibilities of elder girls because a girl of six, seven must look after her, her brother who is two, three years old. Why don't you have opportunity to be a kid? These kids don't have these opportunities because they don't have the, the function of a kid, you know, going to parks and going to, uh, to beaches and the, they live their life just in this community. These kids don't have a place where they can say they belong. In a gang, they can say they belong. I belong here. This is my family. The, the one thing that you said that, that really hit me hard was that kids don't have a chance to be kids. And they don't have a chance to be it's, kids. It's something I see as a photographer quite a lot when I go into these areas is kids at a very young age are holding up gang signs and I hate that for me because when you get older, you can make your own decisions. But when I see an eight-year-old, a nine-year-old, a 10-year-old throwing up gang signs, it really, like, it does something to my mental, like, yep. my, I actually can't fathom it, you know? Because as a kid, when I was growing up, I couldn't imagine being in the position that these kids are in. And they don't even have a chance, really. Because when I was growing up, I was brought up in a perfect family. I had a good mother, good father, good brother. I had good schooling. And I still ended up getting arrested using drugs. How are the kids in places like Lavender Hills, how do they even have a chance? You know what? Uh, um, 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 it's so hardcore because these kids have to put the depth to the things that is happening around them. And there's a lot... Of there's more successes, you know, there is more successes today than there was in yesterday, you know what I mean? Because there's uh, opportunities, but if that opportunity aren't created, if there isn't people who can identify these kids as talent, they've got raw talent in them, but, uh, you know, the gangs recruit them first and uh, they change their talents by maybe he's a good speaker so he can con people, he can lie, 
You know, or he can be a recruiter. He can be a, he can be a recruiter by talking to guys. And this guy is weird. If he begins to fight, he fights. Let the people get afraid of him. So I became as a fighter. You know, what I've learned also is that kids, they, they, um, they, how can I say, they are copycats. Oh, the colored people are the best of copycats. You can get in my community ten Ronaldos. Those tricks that Ronaldo do with the ball, they do it better and cleverer. And they should do it while spraying. So what I've learned about our kids is they are very adaptable to copying other people. They get reared by their grandfathers, by their uncles. Because their mom is a druggie, the father has been shot dead, or the father's in prison, or the father's paralyzed. He hasn't got the ability to can put his hands on his son or on his daughter. So which means most of our kids in our community, they're looking after themselves and of their brothers and sisters, how they get it right. It's still beyond my uh, understanding because where does he get food to eat? In, in our community, um, it's a norm to be aggressive. It's... it's, it's um, I think abuse acceptable. In, uh, abuse in the household is very common. It's a, it's a norm because you see your father sexually harassing your mom in front of you. He doesn't care. And you mimic these behaviors. You mimic them. Because what you, what you do outside, you've learned inside. A father swearing. He swears at you, man. He swears every day at you. Hey, fuck you. And at the end of the day, you're going to do the same. And that is what's happening today in our community. Our kids isn't um, being treated as kids, isn't giving the space to be kids. Um, and it's devastating because there's now only a small percentage of them that can, you can really say uh, can survive. It, it's so sad because in Lavender Hills and like the Cape Flats in general, you don't really have a childhood. You survive your childhood. You su oh, but of course. And how do you survive it? It's being hardcore. It, it, you look like a kid, but your action speaks not like of a kid. Because kids don't do these things. Kids don't wear guns around. And kids don't smoke. Um, and kids don't drink wine and all these things. These kids are fighting revenge because his father was killed by a gangster. His mother was raped by a gangster. His uh, grandma was hit by a gangster. Now, as he grows up, he's just thinking to himself, I'm going to get, if I can't get you, I'm going to get your kids. And what is and happening today? the cycle today, of revenge is What is happening today is a cycle know. of revenge. These kids are taking revenge on the dead fathers, the raped mothers. You know, their household was robbed cleanly. Now they want to do it again. They want to get back at these people. But there's not a way to live. And I think that's something that keeps the cycle going is just this constant need for revenge. Exactly. And um, once you start that cycle, it's pretty hard to stop it. But I think um, to change the topic here a little bit, I want to ask you about your acting. What was it like coming out of prison and kind of being the center of a lot of attention when it comes to films? I mean, you, you, you've done quite a few films now. And um, a lot of photographers have approached you. What is it like working as an actor and uh, and basically a model now? Um, you know, it's it's, it's something that 
Sometimes I can't explain it, put it in words, you know, because um, I just got, I fell in love with, with, with being in front of a camera and talking. I can see you love being in front of a camera. And talking about what I went through, you know, so that other people can hear and can try and, I want to try and reach them with words so they can actually try and feel it, what it is, you know, the negative part of life. Because I was almost drowned in negativity, you know, I was actually beginning to like hurting people, I was actually beginning to like to uh, live on the, the, the wrong side of the law because it was more like adventure, you know, kids are adventurous. And now you have like a platform to share your experiences and inspire other people as well. Oh, of course, because I came, I came full circle around because I saw and I've experienced it and I've actually lived with these people that you become somebody that you don't know yourself. And I didn't want to lose myself. Is that why you started doing charity work? Exactly. That's why I've started going to schools, talking to kids, you know, using myself as, a, as, a, as you know, as actually a... An ambassador a, for change. Yeah, because never mind you say you won't change, but change is within you. Change is actually the way of life. Change is everywhere you look. Is changed, but we don't see it like that because we put blinkers on. You know what? Uh, uh, the thing that I'm always trying to instill by the youth today is that you must remember everything God has given us the power to decide. But with your decisions come consequences. So you do a bad decision, brother, please face the bad consequences. Don't blame others, don't play the blame game because everything that happens to you today is that that you called upon yourself, directly or indirectly, it doesn't matter. You know what, uh, every night uh, before I sleep, I do it, this is a routine of me, Then I think about the days, things that I've done, where I went wrong, and when I say, hey, but I went wrong there, today, I go around there and I ask the people, excuse me, but yesterday I was a bit off key, and I was so into it that I didn't see that I was hurting you guys, but I'm asking you to forgive me. That wasn't in our resume when we were young. We never thought of asking the bloody people, excuse me. You, you know, we come again there, you, we hurt you yesterday, we come again today there, we hit you upon that sore again. It's you know something I mean? you learnt as you got older. Exactly. And today, if I look back and I see the horrendous kinds of things that happened to me, um, and I think the faith of uh, the gods or whatever who sees over us as, as, as human beings, that my eyes are open, widely open. My father used to say, it's dark outside. I didn't believe him because it was daylight. Well, you know what my name is on, on, on social media? It's Josh Wide Awake. <laughs> Because yeah. my eyes are always wide open exactly. and I'm always wide awake. <laughs> now you see, why my father said it's, it's dark outside? Because there's so a lot of things happening that you don't see, that you don't hear of, but it's still happening. You see it happening, but you pretend you don't. You hear it, Josh. You see, you hear, hey, that gang, they they killed 10 people like oh, oh, uh, ever. But this guy walks past you and he's normal. Like any other, you begin to like him, but he's a murderer. You know what I mean? And, and things have to change. Things and definitely need things to change. Things have to change. And when I met 
this young lady, Jeanette de Villiers, she got her own production company. I actually done a documentary. It's the documentary you're making yeah. right now. Yeah. About it's your life story. Yes, it's a documentary, but, but we've done a documentary over tattoos with, with uh, tattoo artists. And she began to ask me certain questions. So I told her, my anchor of my life today is my mom. Because my mother showed me love far beyond what any other human being has ever showed me. She went to all the prisons I was in. She always talked to me. She always told me. This was one of my mom's words that she always told me whenever we met, I love you. And she never gave up on you. She never gave up on me. And she told me in prison when I tapped my face, she said, I'm not going to walk with you again in the road. But my mom will never leave my side. She walks with me in the road. You know what I mean? And nowadays, my mom doesn't want to walk with you. She says, you're too famous. I don't want to walk with you because every time we walk, they want to take photos of you. They want to have a <laughs> signature and all these things. And I don't have time for that. You're my son. You belong to me. You know what I mean? <laughs> and that's the greatness of it all. You know, to can have a mother at my age and you can give back. I can't give back what my mom gave me. I'm trying my best. You know, now my mom is bedridden, but I must accept it. You know, because she lived a life for us. My mom endured a lot of, a lot of things. My mothers, we disrespect them at a time that we must respect them. We must love them now as we never loved them before because they have suffered all these things for our survival. Just to let her kids survive. She was abused by her husband, verbally, mentally, whatever, financially, whatever abuse you can mention, a mom has gone through. Now, it's time for us to let them go away. Also in truth, they must see what they instilled in us. Every time my mom looks at me, my mom says, why did you go through all these things to be what you are today? I can depend upon you. You come into here, you give you all your money to me. What what is happening? I said, Mom, it's you. All the time I, I, I was missing the whole thing. If you said no, I said, no, Mom, still done it. If I had to listen to you, Mom, I wouldn't have been there. It's a bad listening to your parents, it's a bad your mother and your father. And something you said, and I'm going to end off on this <laughs> because we're running out of time, but um, you said behind every strong man, is a stronger woman. Is an even stronger woman. Is a stronger woman. I think that is so true. You know, what, you know what because I call them? My mother, no matter how much shit I gave her, she's always been there for me. And I would not be where I am without my mother. If she isn't endurable, where will you le- learn to endure? And they, the masters of it, my mother. Exactly. You know, they, the masters of it. My mom went through such a lot of, oh, bad things. For the sake of me, now I love her 10 times more. And I want to show her that I am who she wants me to be. I'm reaching out now to the kids on the ground, you know, to dysfunctional families. We're trying to raise funds to try and help these people because, you know, it's all about financial stability. If you can't have that, then you've got the unstable kind of a way of life because, uh, you know, these kids that going to sleep hungry in a community, and the community doesn't even care. So we've installed this in ex-convicts that we are creating our soup kitchens. We are doing pavement gardening. Can you believe it, Josh? We are <laughs> growing food on the pavement in Lebanon, and we're giving this to the soup kitchens. I know, I saw, I saw what you were doing. You look like you're doing amazing things. Oh, 
you know what? Sometimes when you say shit, turn about yeah, why did it take you so long to realize that you were on the path of darkness? It took me. But almost. that's the thing is, and it's I've seen it in me because what I've put myself through. I found that I'm so much more compassionate and I'm so much more understanding of other people's flaws because I have so many myself. Exactly. But Turner, I want to say thank you so much for coming down to this studio. This has been an awesome second episode of the Wide Awake podcast. And um, man, it feels like I've known you for so long. And um, it's just been an absolute pleasure talking to you. But anyway... Thanks for watching. I hope you guys made it to the end and you're still wide awake as usual. <laughs> you know what I want to say, Josh? When I, when I looked into your eyes the first time and I climbed your car, I just got the feeling that me and Josh, we are going to get over everything that stands in our way. We're going to get what, along, yeah. What I've learned in this few hours of being with you is that we're only human after all. We're and only love you guys. I hope that all. you heard me. And like uh, John Lennon said, I'm underwater, but I'm still breathing fine. <laughs> so don't let me be drowned by the negativities. Thank you, guys. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Thank you for watching. Yeah. Awesome, man. Greatness, man. Thank you so oh. much for coming on here. Yeah.